right, a good evening. Welcome back once again to One Step Beyond. Once again, let's sacrifice a Tootsie Roll at the altar of the gods of technology and hope they smile upon us. And, uh, good evening, Walter. Can you hear me? Good evening, Dave. Uh, well, welcome to the KFJC Airwaves. Uh, we are speaking... Whoops. Get our tape running here. We're speaking with Walter Bowert, the author of Operation Mind Control, uh... Actually, is it safe at this point to call it part one? Well, no, it's uh, it's totally revised and expanded. Uh, what was it, 17 years ago, I wrote the first uh, edition of it, and I made a few errors. One of them was uh, we had the Manchurian candidate before the end of World War II, and I made the assumption, as did others, that uh, they were still looking for it. And, of course, the CIA documents led us along, and made us believe they hadn't found it and this was all experimental but in fact they were operational then so that was one of the major errors in the beginning of the book richard condon who wrote the manchurian candidate wrote the introduction to my book and i've left that the same but otherwise i explained that in fact uh, uh life uh the art didn't imitate well art did imitate life life didn't imitate art as i thought it had but art did imitate life that, that uh, condon's uh, Manchurian candidate was uh, was a kind of a, a watered down version of what really actually had uh, already been accomplished. Uh, now, of course, the Manchurian candidate being a mind controlled assassin. Right. Yeah. He was. Uh, if you can rent the video now, it's out. Frank Sinatra bought it and kept it off the market for a number of years. Uh, yeah, they were they were set up to assassinate the president of the United States after being captured in Korea and programmed by the insidious Fu Manchu evil North Koreans, supposedly, you know. And it was supposed to be this advanced technology of hypnosis, narco-pain drug hypnosis. And all the stuff that we know about now, um, I don't think the Chinese, they might have it, but um, well, the leader in the world is the United States as far as mind control goes. One of the ironies about the mind control programs is that uh, real or imagined or exaggerated Soviet and or uh, Chinese communist brain, quote, brainwashing, unquote, was the rationale for the research into this field. Well, well it was. I mean, part, that's what we were told. Right. That's what the CIA documents showed us. But in fact, when we go back into the, uh, the files and the archives and dig a little deeper, and we've had now almost 20 years to do that, we find that... Um, one, one case came, a very interesting published case, open files. Um, a, a, a naval officer had been working behind the enemy lines, and it seemed as though it was even before the, the war with Japan broke out. At some point, he, he was an intelligence guy. He had been captured by the Japanese. He had tortured. He, had, uh, he was tortured. He had uh, done torturing. There was a lot of atrocities, a lot of things that would have given him post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, um, well, he lived a beautiful life after the war. He got out of the, the military in 1947. He got a pension. And he, he had VA hospital. He had uh, good care. He married. He had a normal life. But he couldn't remember anything that he'd done. Mm -hmm. Well, then uh, he was in his 80s. And this was only a few years ago. Uh, he began, to, he had cardiovascular accidents or a stroke. And he began to remember everything. <laughs> and he went through the post-traumatic. His last days were hell, you know, because wow. he not only had the, uh, you know, the strokes and everything, the, the inability to speak and all the things that come with those CVAs, but uh, he had the, uh, the memory of the terror that was suppressed for all those years. So 
So there's, an, there's a case that he might not have been a hypno-programmed assassin, but at least his memories were suppressed by a very, uh, uh, very uh, well-working amnesia, which now is, of course, uh, there's a variety of different techniques that can induce amnesia, including some that are using uh, highly sophisticated uh, um, frequencies of electromagnetic spe spectrum, which actually boil certain cells in your brain. Sleeper agent. Joe called me one day from Australia. It was when I was working on Grub Street as editor of Palm Springs Life. He told me what many of the victims of mind control told me. I read your book. You saved my sanity. I know now that I am not crazy. Thanks so much for writing it. That was reward enough for doing it, I suppose, but I didn't want to do it again. I wanted nothing more to do with mind control. I was burned out on the subject, so Joe got a polite but disinterested reception for me. He kept up correspondence with me, anyway, from the outback. At first, his letters were fragmented, disjointed. Mine were polite and encouraging and brief. I couldn't tell you where he was coming from, but what you do expect from a victim whose mind has been scrambled. He began talking about some missing British scientists. Quote, During the 1980s, at least 25 British defense scientists died in extremely unusual circumstances. None came to my attention until early 1987, when a scientist named David Sands did a high-speed turn on a main road, drove down a slip road, and slammed into a disused little chef cafe at an estimated speed of 80 miles an hour. The police apparently thought it was an unfortunate accident, despite the fact that there had been no skid marks or signs of evasive action, nor any tangible reason for the car to enter the slip road at all. David, badly disfigured by some exploding patrol cans in the boot of the car, could only be identified from his dental records. When I read the story, it was early in the morning and I was sleepy. By the time I finished it, I was wide awake. In January 1986, my Ford Capri 3 liter Gia had suddenly gone into high-speed spin on a narrow, straight, ice-free road with perfect visibility for no good reason. Later, in-depth investigation by expert psychologists using both clinical and hypnotic procedures determined I had attempted a handbrake turn at over 70 miles per hour but had no conscious recollection of the event. The first I knew of the matter was finding myself desperately trying to use skid control techniques to correct the spin or proven techniques that had got me out of trouble many times before when I worked near the snowbound Alaska Highway in northern Canada. My expertise proved of no use in January 1986 because unknown to me at the unconscious level, my car's rear wheels had been locked solid by the handbrake, making it impossible for the car to respond. I leaped to tell the tale, but was extremely lucky to survive the vicious impact. Once again, I read the article about David Sands and my disc quite grew. There was an uncanny similarity somewhat, but I did not have the full details. In the end, I checked the name of the person responsible for the story, Tony Collins of Computer News, promising myself I would call him the following morning. My own story started in 1983, when I was approached to be implanted a drilling fluids project in West Bengal, 
by HDF International, subsidiary of a massive American defense contractor. I was told from the outset the project would be of triple-parted nature involving India, the Soviet Union, and lastly myself representing the U.S. The fact I was an Australian rather than American seemed of no concern to HDF International. Quote, Initially, there were no problems at all. The Indians and Soviets were very friendly, with everything being prepared for the eventual change, the HDB high-performance drilling fluid system. Although I controlled the HDF project in India, permission had been refused when I asked to select my own relief engineer, who would look after the system if I was away on a rotating or leave break. HDF was adamant its U.S. headquarters insisted in an American national fill the post. The man in question, Gerald Smith, told me immediately on arrival he knew nothing about the system we were to use. I encouraged Joe to keep writing the therapy, if for no other reason. Here are experts from another letter. Quote, I recovered with health of the professors and the medical foundation for torture victims in London, but they recovered only the relatively shadow decoy hypnotic levels induced in Calcutta. True memory recovery of the deeper somnambulistic hypnotic level did not commence until the end of 1992, and when it did, the shock almost killed me. Clearly, it would have been impossible to write the book in the first person during 1991. At the time, there were very few memories from 1983 to 1984. There are savage fiscal penalties imposed on those who are unwittingly targeted with these techniques and then discarded if termination fails after the event. In the case of this family, we lost our $170,000 house in England and we lost our tax-paid annual salary of $105,000 from 1986 to 1994. And all that comes to nearly a million U.S. dollars net. And for the life of me, I can see nothing wrong in trying to reverse the damage by selling the only thing valuable to me the truth. The memory recovery of the Deep Mike Alpha Delta 3 level came as hell of a shock at the end of 1992 and was prompted, I think, chiefly by environmental factors. Joe was having trouble remembering details, but as he began to write the details, everything flowed. It was as if his fingers remembered. Still, he was blocked, then he started writing his adventures as a novel in the third person, and his mind freed up some more. Quickly, he wrote an 11,000 plus 100,000 word manuscript in the third person. It was a central part that he write a third person anyway because of the assassination of WPC Yvonne Fletcher in St. James Square, London, exactly 10 years before it was something. His terrifying memories told him he was the trigger man on it. How can anyone write such a thing in first person and hope to stay out of jail? A month later, the next letter came from Joe. Quote, Yeah, the mind control facility existed in central Morocco during 1984, though I have no idea whether it's still there. That said, the accommodation was substantial, and King Hassan III is still in the pockets of the U.S. covert people. Why move the facility somewhere else under such favorable circumstances? As to accuracy, the story is about as accurate as possible, bearing in mind that there were periods when memory recovery would be difficult. When zapped out by heavy drugs during parts of the process, the data on the procedures is correct where appearance and equipment is concerned, but I was understandably never told exactly how the drugs worked in conjunction with the ELF fields, or how in turn they interacted to achieve accelerated learning ability, perceptual distortion, hypnotic control, and post-hypnotic amnesia. There is more detail in parts 2 and 3, which provides a broader overview than part 1 alone. Part 2 is attached 
for your own attention while part three is taken from the towards the end of the book when x travels to london part three is the nastiest bit as you might expect don't stick with the idea that special operations specifically programs assassins it would be more accurate to describe candidates as multi-role i.e capable of wide-ranging terrorist activity which happens to include assassination number of joes there three if you count the normal waking state normal waking number two decoy level and number three operational but it still came down to narco-electronic hypnotic trickery and the very worst, a duality of personality based on modified but authentic behavior from a young adult age. No misleading childhood trauma or other wobbly stuff like that. Hence my claim that three most will certainly be self-disciplined, well-balanced, ethical individuals with the right background. Certainly not undisciplined psychos from the funny farm with the resulting extra high requirements for control and training. The following are excerpts from Joe's factual novel, Mike, Alpha, Delta 3, parts of which first appeared in Nexus magazine, reprinted with permission of the author. Quote, Otto Jewell lay strapped to the spotless white operating table while special operation techniques checked the electrodes to his scalp and adjusted the two high-resolution lenses mounted directly above his head designed to reflect images from the visual input projector at the foot of the operating table directly into the retina eye. Each of the side of Otto's head, two extra low-frequency generators built into special headphones pull slowly and smoothly enveloping both hemispheres of his brain with intensity electromagnetic fields. Off to one side of the room was located the ELF generator control console and a sophisticated electrophilograph EEG linked to four green computer screens, each displaying one of Otto's four brain frequency groups, alpha, beta, theta, and delta. As the generators pulsed slowly, the delta screen showed a brilliant green trace while other threes remained blank, apart from an occasional brief spike on the alpha screen. Directly beneath the four green screens, a larger color screen was on standby, ready to repeat all data relayed to the rooms of Otto's eyes by the visual input projector. To the left of the computer book and bank stood a standard medical array monitoring Otto's vital signs including respiration, pulse, and skin conductivity. All was well in the terrorist factory. Otto was sleeping like a baby and programming would continue as soon as the staff were ready. CIA controller Julia Long nodded to the others and walked out of the climate control operating room into blazing hot Moroccan sunshine. Although it was still early in April 1984, the sun beat down remorselessly and Julia thought again how unfair it was that special access facility had to be sitting occasionally in the middle of Morocco, a country for she personally found far too backwards for her tastes. Unfortunately, there was little choice as the U.S. Congress had banned experiments on human targets back in 1973, at which point special operations had secretly moved the facility to Beirut in the Lebanon. She found it bitterly and smiled to herself. Beirut had been wonderful and ideally sighted until the Russian military had blown more than 200 U.S. Marines apart with their own special bombs. Beirut was also ideal launching point for her more normal clients, Arabs including Palestinian, refugees with a military background, programmed to believe they were operating under the direct orders of the PLO as they bombed their way across Europe, creating mayhem and fanning blind hatred against the nations of the Middle East. 
Most of the patriotic PLO terrorists were killed during their missions, of course, and those who survived could not provide their interrogators with any information at all, even under intense torture. U.S. techniques in manufacturing electro-hypnotic dual personalities had been developed over a 30-year period and were the very best, totally resistant to expert probing by anyone up to and including Russian KGB. It had never occurred to Julia Long that what she was doing was wrong. To her, the end justified the means entirely when spreading the doctrine of CIA democracy across the globe. If a few dozen or a few hundred people had to die in front of television cameras in order to manipulate public opinion, then so be it. Julia was in business of deliberately generating public anger by staging horrific, obscene operations that shocked the public via the television screen. After seeing bloodied, mangled bodies attributed to the PLO, Shining Path, or whichever group was selected by the CIA as culprit for the atrocity of the day. The public was happy to cheer the U.S. bombers, which then proceeded to blow the terrorists and their wives and children off the face of the earth. The fact no one would have died at all without the intervention of her small, deadly special operations group was of no concern. For Julia, the world was run by CIA covert operations, and nothing else was of consequence. The feedback I've gotten on Joe's description of the programming is, it's close but not quite exact. Later we'll discuss the various forms of electromagnetic programming and hear from experts and other survivors. No need to split hairs, Joe's book needs to be published. It tells things like they are in the world where the long tentacles of the CIA entwine with both slimy gums of the MI6. Due to British fear of the Official Secrets Act, no U.S. publisher has yet published Joe Vial's book, Mike Alpha Delta Three. Joe might be an author of the stature and sales potential of Tom Clancy, but under the curious customs of the realm, Joe is ignored and banished to the outback because of the kingdom's fear of officialdom is stronger than the kingdom's passion for the liberation of the human spirit for truth, justice, and say, wasn't England the original home of common law?